You ready, Jordan? Yeah. Okay, cool. Jordan Weissman is a writer here at Slate. The guy I drag into the studio whenever I want to figure out something about the economy or healthcare. Okay, so the Democrats are running on healthcare reform. Can yes. you sum up what that means? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you have heard these talking points by now. Medicare for all, Medicare for America, Medicare for anyone. Healthcare is a human right, not a privilege. The bottom line is we need to make sure that every American is able to get health care. I support Medicare for all. It is my preferred um, As a policy. principle, you mean, not Bernie Sanders' bill. I support the bill. There, there's a range. And then there are the people who are just seem to be getting attention right now by saying single payer bad. Is socialism bad? You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, troll the troll the lefties. So what you're saying is we have options here. There are, there are a lot of options. <laughs> Almost too many options. Yeah, you've got exactly. Everyone hates shopping for their own health care plan. Try shopping for a health care reform plan. <laughs> the real question is how all this talk is going to translate when whoever nabs the nomination gets back to Washington. And if you're looking for a big change, Early signs are not especially promising. What's happening in D.C. right now is all very behind the scenes, very preliminary. It's people kind of gaming out what might happen if Democrats ever take back control of the Senate at some point in the future. So it's all trial balloons. It's trial balloons. It's backroom meetings. It's messaging. It's not an up or down vote on a piece of legislation. I think what we could expect is that any push for health care reform, even moderate health care reform, is going to be really hard. It's always hard to reform health care. No matter how ambitious people are on the campaign trail, it's going to be a slog to get something through, passed on the federal level. Jordan says, if you want to know what might actually happen when the primaries are finished, we've gotten a kind of preview. It's happening right now. In two states that have tried to think big, Expand healthcare access. So, what succeeded and what failed? The answers say a lot about what we can expect come 2020. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24 7 US based live customer service, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we talk about these two states, Washington and Connecticut, that have been trying to reform their health systems, a little bit of vocab. Both of these states have been trying to put in place something called a public option. 
Okay, so the public option was talked about a lot during the, for, the push for Obamacare, right? And it's this idea that, yeah, we have all these private insurers, but we should, the government should also offer an alternative. There should be some sort of health care that everyone can buy into that is either funded by the government or run by the government um, that they sell everywhere. Right. That's that's the basic idea. It is a government backed health care plan. And it's interesting to me because in some ways, Obamacare revealed all these holes in the system that made the public option seem more obvious and more needed. Yeah. Well, it's really funny because the public option got nixed from Obamacare. Right. They gave up on it. And, you know, there, there was this idea that it wasn't really necessary. I think over time, we realized it would have been useful to have it because there have occasionally been these scares where it looks like maybe a state or a county in a state won't have any insurers selling on its market. And if you had a public option, that would be no problem. There would not be a problem. Exactly. So what exactly happened in Washington and Connecticut? So obviously not much is happening on the federal level of health care right now. Um, So some states are trying to take it upon themselves to fix up their markets. You know, Obamacare has not worked out perfectly. The insurance is not as affordable as people would like. The deductibles are a bit higher than a lot of, you know, thousands of dollars. Uh, You know, it hasn't all gone smoothly. And so states are sitting around saying, well, what can we do? Um, And Democrats in Washington and Connecticut um, said, you know, maybe we can create versions of the public option for ourselves, that we can we can do something similar to what was being talked about at the federal level. Okay, we are here. We are here for Senate Bill 5526, the Cascade Care Public Option Bill. And Washington sort of was first off the bat, and they they created what I think yeah, is best described really as a a public private option. And I don't want to get too deep into the weeds for everyone here, but basically the idea is that the government would design a standard healthcare plan, and then they would contract with providers, with insurance companies, to offer it around the state. And the idea behind this was they were going to they, this plan was that they would set the copays and the deductible. They would say, "Here's what it's going to cost you. Here are the benefits we want. Hey, insurer, are you going to offer it? Great, you can call that." Cascade care. And one of the rules of Cascade care is that you can only pay doctors and hospitals this much money. And that's going to save everyone a certain amount of cash when they're buying insurance. And originally, the idea was they were going to cap payments to doctors and hospitals at exactly the Medicare rate. How doctors and hospitals feel about that? They didn't like that. (laughs) They were not fond of it. And what eventually happened is they said, well, okay, the Medicare rate's not going to work. Doctors and hospitals are freaking out. Um, Let's push that up a bit above Medicare rates. And in the end, they got, you know, they think they might be able to save about 10%, up to 10% on the cost of what, you know, people are currently paying in Washington. So it's a little discount. Yeah, it's a little discount. It's it's a it's the government dipping its toe into public insurance or playing more of a role in public insurance for people who aren't, say, on Medicaid. Are all the insurers in Washington going to be required to have a Cascade Care Plan? No, absolutely not. They are not required. And no one is required to accept it. Wow. So we won't really know if this works. For a while. But part of the negotiating process, from what I understand, was basically them saying, are you on board with this? Okay, we just, good. You're on board? Okay, great. <laughs> like, like this, the government kind of going to the insurers be like, here's what we're doing. You think you'll offer it? All right, cool. Uh, that's good to know. And then going to the providers and saying, think you'll accept this? Probably. Good. All right, good. Good to know. This will work. All right, let's see if we can all make this happen now. 
That said, again, they got something. In Connecticut, they got nothing. A few weeks after Washington signed its plan into law, Democrats in Connecticut's legislature met stiff resistance to their own public option. Well, here's what is hard to think about when it comes to Connecticut. Connecticut is run by Democrats. Completely. That's right. And what happened there was you had the governor and the Democratic legislators, lawmakers, leaders. They basically sprung it on the Republicans. They showed up. They all lined up and said, we're behind a public option. We're going to do the Connecticut option. And this seemed like a big deal. You know, it was like, oh, wow, okay, they're really going for it. And then they started negotiating furiously with the insurance industry, which is important. Why? Because people say, like, if you go in Hart- if you go to Hartford, you see, like, insurers' logos all over the office buildings. Um, so they had to negotiate both with the insurers that actually cover people in Connecticut, and they had to just in- negotiate with the companies that are based there that had some interest in this. And... The bill just kind of crashed and burned very suddenly while I was actually on the phone with one of the legislators behind it. I was talking to him, and then after we got off, he's like, oh, you might want to look at this article. (laughs) uh, He sent it to me, and it was just like, oh, well, the bill's dead. Health care bill appears to be dead tonight after insurance carrier Cigna threatened to leave Connecticut if it passes. And what appears to have happened, it's a little bit unclear, is that the CEO of Cigna said that if you go ahead with this legislation, we're going to release a letter that says we might leave the state. And Signet denied this, but multiple officials have said they got threats along these lines. We're going to pick up our toys and go home. We're going we're gonna to take the ball and, and go to Philadelphia. And what was remarkable about this is that Cigna does not have any customers on the individual market in Connecticut. It does not, is not affected by the Obamacare market in Connecticut. It does not theoretically have any reason to care about it whatsoever. It was completely a a matter of philosophy that they just did not want to see a kind of step in the direction of more government health care. They want to smother any attempt to create that in in the cradle. I mean, what's remarkable is that in this scenario, the more difficult negotiators than the Republicans are the insurance industry. And they're people that we didn't elect. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the... Connecticut's a unique case, again, because, like I said, it's sort of the insurance industry is a major employer. It's important to the local economy. In Washington, that's just not the case. But, yeah, you know, what it goes to show is that at least some of the major insurers aren't going to be okay with even moderate reform. They're going to fight tooth and nail to stop any kind of change that gets the government further involved in directly providing insurance, even if it is something like a weak public option on the federal level. And so I think you might be seeing a preview of in miniature of what a federal battle could look like. And here's the thing. Back when Obamacare first passed, there was lots of rumbling from conservative circles that Obamacare was just a Trojan horse for government health care. And this is how it begins. It begins with rolling out Obamacare, and then inside of this is a government takeover. I just wonder if the insurers won't come to the table and negotiate. Aren't they kind of making that reality for themselves? Yeah, I think that is a distinct possibility. One of the reasons we are now talking about Medicare for all is that there is a sense that Obamacare has not delivered. And in part of that, you know, that has to do with some of the inherent limitations of the program. It may, you know, some of it was not designed as well as it could have been. 
But also, it just has not been allowed to work the way it was supposed to in some ways. There have been a lot of attempts to sabotage it and limit it and, you know, undermine it. And so Obamacare was designed as a compromise. It was supposed to be sort of the neoliberal version of healthcare reform that would, you know, leave the private sector mostly intact but highly regulated with subsidies. And now, because that has not worked, the left is and the Democratic Party more generally wants more just straight government involvement. And I do wonder if the you know if the insurance industry is not going to come to the table. Um, they're really they're betting big, right? They're betting that they can stop whatever it is that that's coming. Because if they're not going to if they're not going to sit down and negotiate, then what's the point in making concessions to them? It's not a bad bet. I mean. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Is How right. many jobs in America are healthcare related? It's it's like thir- you know it's thirteen percent of our economy. That's uh, roughly it's it's a lot. Um, and that is, I think that's a pretty good bet that it's going to be hard to just cut costs. You know that when someone says we're going to do Medicare for all and we're going to uh, bring down payments to hospitals by a ton, that you know we probably need to do some of that. But it's not going to be easy because bringing down payments to hospitals, lowering payments to doctors, that's it's a lot of nurses' jobs. That's it's a lot of employment. Have any of the Democratic candidates started talking about this though? Because I haven't heard any of them speaking about it in these terms. They speak about the importance of getting healthcare access for all, but they're not really thinking about how they're going to get around these huge hurdles. That would require talking about trade-offs. So Kamala Harris can get up there and say, "I just want to get rid of all that bureaucracy. I want to get rid of all that and move on." She can do that. It's a little harder to get up and say, well, we want to cut payments to hospitals, and that might mean fewer jobs for nurses. Possibly. <laughs> like, that's that's not a political winner, and I don't think anyone wants to have that conversation. Republicans will definitely force it. I think Democrats need to have, you know, at some point, some sort of answer at the ready about it. But I don't think it's a conversation anybody is really eager to have. Yeah, I was struck by John Delaney, another presidential candidate who isn't going to win, as far as I can tell. But definitely a member of the We Can't Have Nice Things caucus. <laughs> he got up in front of the California Democrats and yeah. he said, Medicare for all may sound good, but it's actually not good policy, nor is it good politics. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. He got booed repeatedly about it. And he said, it's not good policy. And I was like, that's actually not the argument to make. It might be good policy, yeah. but it might be really hard to implement because of all these jobs implications that you don't want to engage with. Right. And, you know, in some ways, this conversation is unavoidable. We have to get health care costs under control. And getting health care costs under control means getting somebody's paycheck under control. You know, that's the someone is going to lose money in that bargain. And it, it's not even a question of whether or not we do Medicare for all or Medicare for anyone or a public option. I mean, it's just we cannot continue to spend as much as we do on health care or more. It, it, it's not it's not sustainable. OK, we started this conversation. We were talking about how making healthcare policy is hard. Mm-hmm. I feel like I still have the battle scars from the last time we did this with Obamacare. Yeah. Do you think any of these candidates has the stomach for this fight? Like, really? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people said the most important thing that to ask the candidates isn't what their plans are, but what are the priorities? Because if healthcare is not your number one priority, if it's not number one or two, if it's like number three on the list, 
I have a hard time believing anything significant is going to get done. Jordan, thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. Jordan Weissman is a writer here at Slate. All right, that's the show. If you are a procrastinator, and that's cool, I'm a procrastinator too. Good news, there are still tickets left to our live show this Saturday, June 8th in New York City. I'm going to be interviewing Wyatt Cenac, Jumani Williams, and Mimi Roca. It's going to be fantastic. You can get your tickets at slate.com slash slate day 2019. As always, big thanks to the people who make this show possible. Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, and Ethan Brooks. Also, big thanks to Jordan Weissman, who has been keeping a close, close eye on how the healthcare industry is getting ready to fight against Medicare for all. They're girding themselves for... I said girding their loins. Is that like for battle? I'm like mixing metaphors. They're girding their loins for battle. I don't think your loins battle. Fact-checking note here. Turns out you do gird your loins for battle. My producer Ethan found a picture of it. It is on my Twitter, at Mary's desk. You can check it out. It is totally fine, by the way. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.